Welcome to Guernsey Geeks podcast. Um, we're casting from a different pod, which is nice. We're casting from the St. James pod with a fantastic view. Um, and around the table, we've got uh, myself, Graham Dewardon, and Elliot Marietz. Hello. 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 And we've also got John Bisson, who's whispering to Annie. Hello, John. Hello. And we're very lucky to have uh, David Hepworth. Hello, David. Hello. I have to say, I've done podcasts of all kinds. And I've never done a podcast with a view like the one we've had. <laughs> <laughs> this is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Panorama. So we've got, I mean, you can see Herm ahead of you just to the left. We've got Jetu, which is about a mile wide. It's a private island. And then there's Sark over there, which hosts... Oh, you can uh, see Sark. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Sark that's sort Sark of there. there. That's the big can one. I, can that's I just say that we're explaining visual stuff on a radio show? Which, yeah, it's fine. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 like, it's really good content. Close your eyes, listeners, <laughs> yeah. and let us take well, you Seen it before, you know. <laughs> ah, cool, uh, David. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. Have you just flown in, or uh, no? We got it. I got here on Friday night, and um, my wife and I uh, spent yesterday going around the island, ah, seeing okay. the sights. So that took ten minutes. Had a nice... <laughs> 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 We're immensely impressed. I have to say, you're immensely impressed with the bus service. Oh yeah, it's great. The bus service is just sensational. One pound. <laughs> Uh, don't I know it? Yeah. <laughs> and also, they give you change. Yeah. In London, yeah. they don't, yeah, they don't exactly. take cash and they wouldn't give you change yeah. anyway. You know. So it, we, we thoroughly enjoyed that. Oh, that's really good to hear. There. And we went in the, in the kind of, uh, in one of the kind of, the many occupation museums. Yeah. Oh, we saw some of your tweets I, there. I find fascinating myself, actually. So I, I really enjoyed it. It struck me it's the only place in the world where you find an occupation museum. Yeah. <laughs> Most right. people. Well, you go to France, they don't talk about occupation no. museums. <laughs> understandably. Yeah, very true. Whereas you're in the uniquely, uh, you know, well, melancholy we've... position of, being, of having it and being able to... Celebrate it. Uh, the <laughs> Second World War really benefited Guernsey's music scene because loads of those German bunkers, these uh, underground, yeah, yeah. make brilliant rehearsal spaces yeah. and recording studios. This is what I was saying. Somebody was saying, I was sitting next to a dinner last night, we were talking about this very thing. And I said, I hope you've given them kind of Germanic sounding names. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like you're making a craft work out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's certain kind of noises that come from those kind of environments. Well, most yeah. of them still have all the paintwork inside from the Germans, all the, all the words and the directions. Really? And mm. Yeah, so they're quite odd, odd places, really, but uh, very soundproof. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> great, and quite smelly and yeah. uh, full of beer. So for those people that um, uh, unfortunately can't make it here today for your talk at 12 o'clock here as part of the Literary Festival, um, would you would you be able to sort of? It's hard to summarise a book, but the book uh, <laughs> Uncommon People. Uh, would you be able to give somebody kind of like a, a summarise or summarize an overview? Proust. Um, yeah. Well, it's called Uncommon People: The Rise and Fall of the Rock Stars, 1955 to 1995. Because I like to give things dates because <laughs> it gives them gives them kind of historical legitimacy. And you know, because my previous book was uh, called Never a Dull Moment, 1971. And uh, and that was you know, quite a success, and uh, they're even making a film of it. Oh, oh wow! And, uh, Fantastic. Well, not just that; they're making four films of it. Actually, I can't <laughs> say anymore. You've got an exclusive. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so when it came to writing the next one, I said, I just want to write something about rock stars mm. as a as a tribe, as, ah. this, as this tribe of of kind of fantasy friends that we all had. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, and it struck me we don't have rock stars anymore, that they, mm. they kind of stopped. Mm. 
And so I wanted to make that point. And what I've done in the book is that for each of 40 years between 1955 and 1995, I've taken one rock star on one day in each of those years. Ah, interesting. And just and you know related the things that defined them as a rock star and the experience that happened to them on that particular day. And so I hope, ideally, reading it with a little bit... bit like looking at one of those little flick books that we used to, <laughs> yeah, used yeah. to look at as a child, you know. So you'll see the changing shape of the rock star, <laughs> absolutely, of the rock star over, over those years. Because I think I wanted to, to rescue the idea of the rock star from the kind of tyranny of television producers oh. and fashion editors who think a rock star is just somebody wearing leather trousers. Mm. Who's, who's busy mm. chucking your television out of a hotel room window. And the thing about rock stars, <laughs> What fascinated me about me about rock stars is they came in all shapes and sizes, mm, yeah. all kinds of really unusual people, very different backgrounds, very different journeys. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and, yeah. and then different things made them rock stars. Mm. But it was that kind of the understanding that the personal appeal is as important as the music. Mm. I suppose is what yeah. made them rock the stars. Mm. Yeah. The personality, the persona, the charisma, mm. the things that went with them. And do you think that those rock stars in each of those generations um, have not been, as they are now formed by the media, they haven't been formed by them. They are, they've walked their own path. Or do you think the influences have still come to bear? Well, I think it's more difficult now because I think, I think musical eras last 40 years. Right. I think, you know, jazz goes from the end of the First World War to the mm -hmm. end of the 1950s. Doesn't mean it disappears, but it ceases being the kind of main heartbeat of popular music. And rock and roll, in its widest sense, was the heartbeat of popular music from the mid-50s mm -hmm. to the mid-90s. Mm. Right now, we're probably towards the end of the hip-hop era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Yes. You know, <laughs> yes. yeah. It moves on. And I think one of the things that moves it on is technology. Mm. Mm. You know, cheap ampli amplification is what made the rock and roll band. Yeah. Cheap computing is yeah. what made hip-hop and everything that came yeah. after it. And it'll be something similar that, that yeah. moves it on next, you know. But do you think it's possible for someone to become a global star now with the... With the I mean, it's so diluted. I mean, the tribes tend to find the music that they want to listen to and engulf themselves. They're not, they're not forced to listen to anything else. No, it, well, it's, uh, as an old friend of mine says very wisely, and I quote him all over the world to his immense pride, <laughs> uh, my friend Brent Hansen, who used to run MTV Europe, he said, it's never been easier to play and it's never been harder to win. Mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, that applies to yeah. anything. Yeah. You can get started mm. now. Getting started has never been easier. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to get any kind of position of prominence is way harder. Yeah. Because, yeah. because everybody's been able to start. Yeah, it's yeah. broadening it out. The amount of competition you've yeah. got. You know, whereas in the old days, a relatively small number of bands, relatively small number of bands who got record contracts. Yeah, and the record contract was a big thing then as yeah. well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 it was yeah. a huge yeah. platform to stand on, Absolutely. and now everybody's got the same platform. Everybody's, everybody's making a record. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's really hard to stand out. But, you know, you know the, the likes of Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran or whatever, are everybody's big mm. as, you know, the Beatles or Bob Dylan were in their era. So it's possible uh, to make it through, but could, could, could someone make it through who wasn't um, media-friendly? who was more rock and roll or more? Um, 
more complex. What media friend? I don't know, know but you very, know, the Taylor Swift <coughs> and things like that, they're so built, aren't they? Well, it's, 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 it's something that's, that's quite sellable. It's something that's, yeah. that's um, so... Parent-friendly. Yeah, well... I think it's just that. I don't know. It's a lot more complicated than that because Taylor Swift is a very built concept, but she built it herself. Yeah, yeah. that's fair enough. That's right. Nobody yeah. else did it. No. She knew exactly what she was doing from a very young age. And, you know, it strikes me those people are remarkably savvy. And very driven. Remarkably yeah. self-aware. Yeah. Far more savvy than the people who yeah. went before them, <laughs> who were just thinking, you know, the famous line from Ringo Starr, you know, when he joined the Beatles, well, when, during Beatlemania. What do you think you'll end up with at the end of this? I think I might have enough for a couple of hairdressers. <laughs> <laughs> okay? That was the modesty of the ambition. Yeah. And now he's Sir Ringo Starr. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is in his seventies. Yeah. You know, nobody thought that, that kind of thing was mm -hmm. gonna happen. Nobody thought was this gonna have no. that kind of longevity. So it's a very different world, you know. It's a, it's and it's it's very difficult very difficult to compare like with like. Yeah. Except one of the points I make in the book is that um, I think it's it's sort of impossible to be to be a rock star. You know, if we if we regard a rock star as being a kind of you know a kind of um, they behave badly on our behalf. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> they kind of have permission, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. We we wanted them to behave badly. Nowadays, if you behaved, you know, the way that Jimmy Page behaved in 1973, you'd be apologising on the nine o'clock news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unacceptable behaviour. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He has already he's withdrawn what he said on social media, you know, yeah. because the thing about <laughs> Jimmy Page or David Bowie or any of these people, you didn't know what they got up to. Mm. No, nobody really knew what they were Very, very yeah. hidden, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Very hidden. Mm. And... And therefore, it was quite romantic. Yeah, because people make as, up stuff. Mm. As soon as it is known, mm. it's good. Oh, that's a bit. <laughs> that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. not what we like. So there is something about that sort of romantic idea and and what people kind of want to believe in rather than being being shown. Um, you were saying about your current book actually taking a snapshot on each yeah. person's life. That must have taken a lot of research. I can imagine that you were... <laughs> how did you do that? I mean, well, you start off with a lot of stuff you know already, and then you go and find out more. Okay. And, uh, and what you find nowadays, and I'm sure this applies to writing anything non-fiction, is the amount of research material potential research material grows exponentially. Oh, yeah. It, the more you scratch at the surface. It's yeah. just there. <laughs> yeah. The amount of knowledge in any, in any area is being increased yeah, daily. Yeah. You know, new YouTube Completely accessible, clips. yeah. Everything's out there forever, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, and so you... You know, the, the, the problem is kind of keeping a lid on it. Yeah, I was going to so say, filtering it down must be really tricky. And, you know, I just had to choose. Mm. And so... I haven't attempted particularly to be comprehensive because I don't think you can. Mm. Uh, I've, just, I've just done the people I wanted to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> and nice. I, and yeah. I felt had a, had a story that yeah. I, I wanted to tell. Yeah. It's a, it's a subjective thing. Yeah? It's a great funk front cover of your book. I love that picture of uh, Bowie walking out of the, you know, and he's kind of in that prime time as well, isn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. 1973, Hammersmith. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually found one of the lads who's in the background. No way, really. Uh, Malcolm oh. Green, who was a 15-year-old schoolboy at the time, at school in Hendon, I think, mm. and uh, Wembley, and, uh, and bunked off for the day with his mates what, to, to go, go down, <laughs> because David Bowie was playing Hammersmith. And they just went down there, 
and they bought tickets on the door. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that gives you an idea <laughs> of what a different, different world it was. Yeah, yeah. Because this is Derry Bay, supposedly at the height of his powers and all this, and it was Bowie mania, mm. but it wasn't that big. Not compared to now. Yeah, because that's true. the audience for popular mm. music in those days was people between the ages of 15 and 30. How much younger? Well, okay, but it didn't go beyond 30. Mm. Now, the audience for anything is everyone. Yes. Six to 80. Yeah. It's absolutely everybody. It's the mainstream of, of entertainment. It didn't used to be. It used to be, it was a subculture. Mm. I suppose you've seen that with your publishing through the years. You've had a pretty unique eye on it from right from the pops, pop, more poppy stuff and, and then the more contemporary stuff as well. So when you came to write the book, did you have a, you already had quite a broad picture where you. I suppose so. But you change your views a bit, a bit about, you know, because these things change as, as you look at them because, um, you know, one of the beauties of the internet, you know, and the reason I wrote the previous book, 1971, because my theory was, is 1971 is the, is the Annus Mirabilis of the rock and roll album. It never got any better. Mm. And it's, it's only when you have the internet that pulls everything together and mm. sifts everything by year, whatever, mm. that you can see. Yeah. You can see these patterns. Because okay. you're looking at a 40, 50 year span. You mm -hmm. know? Whereas previously at the time, you're just looking at it as it was unfolding. Mm -hmm. So you've got a, you know, no, got a certain, amount, perspective, I certain amount of historical distance. So I, you know, I've got a certain amount of historical distance, but, but also I've got the benefit, I'm really blessed in this, of having been there. Mm. That so must have been fun. You see, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me in the sense, you see, the most people, you know, I, I kind of got to know popular music as it happened, as yeah. it unfolded. Yeah. Things came along for the first time. You know, most people nowadays know about David Bowie, for instance, via BBC Four on Friday nights, mm -hmm. or reading about it. Mm -hmm. they, it's just the way it is. Yeah. I didn't. I got to know about it by being there. Yeah. It was on the radio. It was in the local shop. It was happening, and you didn't know what was going to happen next. You I know. suppose for you then as well, that was it was just part of your life. It was just a normal thing in this sense of being able to now pull back and kind of look at it. It's kind of like, oh, my God, I was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like if you, if, you interview, if you interview rock stars now, and they, if you talk to them in the 60s and 70s, they're different people. Then, than, uh, than they are They're now. different people yeah. now because they're in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And so they, if they've got any sense, they're looking back and going, my God, we were lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You're not thinking we were geniuses. They're thinking we were lucky. Yeah. yeah. We you, were there at that time. You described um, the book looking at people's lives. And, and I know, I think you've kind of said this earlier, but do you think there are any common characteristics that sort of make up a rock star? Well, um, you know, there's certain things that they're more likely to be than not. You know, they probably, they're probably not that far away from a guitar, you know, they can probably play <laughs> a, a 12 bar. Or a keyboard. Although, although somebody pointed out to me, I've seen Steve Lillywhite sent to me, I can't believe this. Steve Lillywhite produced U2, so it says they couldn't play a 12 bar blues. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because they had not learned that way. Mm -hmm. They come at it as a totally different. They come at it as a. It was a piece of conceptual art. 
You know, really? Really? You know, <laughs> we are, you two, I'm called Bono, he's called The Edge, you know, we've got a fantasy world with us, now let's make some music that kind of justifies that idea. Whereas everybody before then had come up with a certain way of playing. Sure. You know, you two had never played cover versions or anything mm-hmm. like that. Man, you look at the Beatles. The Beatles, I still insist, yeah. are the world's finest wedding band. They could do anything. They? Yeah. Yeah. If you chuck the Beatles in front of an average wedding party and say, right, can you play something for the grannies, something mm-hmm. for the dancing, something romantic, they'd have done it. Yeah. And they'd have been really good at it. Because they had they, schooling they, in, in, they, in, they in rhythm and blues and things. You had to do music. That. They, That's they what you did. spent seven mm-hmm. hours a day there playing no covers, no disgrace about it at all. Yeah. And that, a serious point about the Beatles, who I can drone on about forever, but I better not. Um, <laughs> the point about the Beatles, what made the Beatles such good songwriters, is that they spent years taking apart what made a really good song. Mm. Oh, really? Because Actually drilling they it down. played every new R&B hit that came into Liverpool. They went to Brian Epstein's shop. They played the A side, they played the B side. They worked out how to play it. Mm. That's why they were so good, mm. because... You know, they they knew what the component parts They'd of the song were. Yeah. We've on on these earlier podcasts, we've we've talked to local musicians about this sort of cover band or yeah. or, or sort of original music <laughs> split, yeah. you know, and how yeah, they yeah. could. It it's a big, v- big topic. Of discussion. It can be. It can be. Yeah. 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 And and there is a, generally we've come to this idea that actually it's really good to school yourself in yes. in other people's music because you do learn something and it puts you in somebody else's shoes in some ways. But it also I think it reminds you of the fact that you're there to entertain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's your right to be on that stage. That's true. Yeah. Is, is not just to play my new songs, because that's an art project. <laughs> you know. I like that <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I go to, I go to b- birthday parties of kind of old mates of mine, and uh, I went to one the other week, and, uh, and it's, oh, he's, he's getting a load of his mates, and they're going to play for us at the party. And you feel like saying, well, I, can, I wrote a poem. Can I read that? <laughs> <laughs> no, because that wouldn't be entertaining. Exactly. <laughs> My point exactly, you know. It might be entertaining. It depends, uh, it depends okay. on the poet. <laughs> but, you know, there's just, you know, music kind of shifted post-Beatles, didn't it? Yeah, because, it did, yeah. because what happened with the Beatles is that is that they persuaded everybody that they could write their own songs, mm. which in most cases they couldn't. Mm. <laughs> Didn't stop them doing it. Mm. But they carried on. Mm. Carried on doing it because that was how you made a career, that's how you made the money. So I'm just wondering about any uh, listeners out there who kind of uh, have aspirations to become a rock star. So one of the characteristics is that they've <laughs> got to have some sort of grasp of a musical instrument. Well. Oh, I, I mean, I, one of the things is that I think the big rock stars were kind of rock stars before they played music, if you know what I mean. Ah. If you go and look at Elvis Presley and people like that, they, they walked around Memphis when they were 16 years old and people thought, he's a bit strange. Okay. <laughs> he's large in the life. Yeah. He does his hair in a way I've never seen anybody do that before. That's interesting, yeah. so, and I think that applies to loads of people. Mm. But the... The final, the, the, the one utterly defining characteristic, and this is not anything you can do anything about, is that people always think about rock stars, they always think, if I went for a drink with Bruce Springsteen, Johnny Rotten, whoever, we'd really get on. <laughs> <laughs> 
They don't think that about movie stars. No, that's true. They don't yeah. think that about footballers. They think that about rock stars. Yeah. And so, so what's that about, do you think? Well, I think we think of them as our friends who are, who are licensed to behave in a way that we can't ourselves. Mm. Does that mean we mo- that makes us more tolerant of their trials and tribulations as they track Absolutely. through? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And only as they've come under the spotlight that we're forced to sort of say, well, it's probably a little bit far. That. <laughs> well, I think now, I think recently, you know, we post-social media, I think we live in a very censorious age, you know. Mm. People get so upset about everything. You get upset about everything. Yeah. I was offended. <laughs> it's okay to be offended. Yeah. You can live with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so okay, so it's slightly larger than life, and just and just being an individual, those those kind of characteristics, making people want to be you. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I don't think anybody wants to be Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> and I have nothing against Phil Collins. Or married to Phil Collins. <laughs> I, I like Phil Collins. I've got nothing against him at all. But I don't think anybody thinks to themselves, I wonder what Phil Collins is doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think they think that about, you know, other people. That's almost a, it's almost a bumper sticker. What, what, what would Phil Collins <laughs> what do? Is Phil, what is Phil Collins doing right now? Yeah, yeah. Right, so I think we've got to wrap up because you've, you've got to get on stage soon. Uh, yeah. But we'd like to say thanks to the Guernsey Literary Festival for uh, bringing you over and thanks to you for, for coming. Yeah, thank you Pleasure. Yeah. It's been fun. We're looking forward to your talk. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard it all now. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, oh, David. Thank, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah.